once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor," I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this and nothing more. Ah, distinctly I remember, it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow, vainly I had sought to borrow from my books a cease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore, nameless here forevermore and the silken sad uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me filled me with fantastic terror never felt before so that now to still the beating of my heart i stood repeating tis some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door this is it and nothing more Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating, then no longer. Sir, said I, or well, madam, truly your forgiveness I implore. But the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I open wide the door. Darkness there and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there, wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming, dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore. This I whispered, and an echo muttered back the word, Lenore, merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning. Soon again I heard a tapping, somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely, that is something at my window lattice. Let me see, then, what threat is, and the mysteries explore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind, and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, when... With many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore, not the least obeisance made, not a minute stopped or stayed, he with mine old lord or lady perched upon my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat, and nothing more. Then this ebony bird, beguiling my sad fancy into smiling, by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore, though thy crest be shorn and shaven, though I said, art sure no craven, grassly grim and ancient raven, wandering from the nightly shore, tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's plutonian shore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Much I marveled this ungainly fowl to hear a discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little reverence bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was bleased with seeing a bird upon his chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door, with such a name as nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely on the placid bust, spoke only that word, as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. 
nothing further than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered. Other friends have flown before, on the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, Nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken by reply, so aptly spoken, doubtless said I, What it utters is only stock and store, caught from some unhappy master, whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster, till his songs one burden bore, till the dirge of his hope that melancholy burden bore, of never, never more. But the raven still beguiling my sad fancy into smiling straight, and I wheeled a caution seat in front of bird and bust and door, then upon the velvet sinking I betook myself to thinking, fancy unto fancy thinking, what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eye now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er, but whose velvet violet lining with the lamp showed gloating o'er, she shall press, ha, ah, nevermore. Then methought the air grew denser, perfumed from unseen censer, swung by seraphim, whose footfalls tinkled upon the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thou God hath lent thee, by these angels he hath sent thee, respite, respite, nepenth from thy memories of Lenore, quoth, oh, quoth this kind nephine, forget this lost Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet said I thing of evil, prophet still if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate yet all undaunted on this desert, land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there balm in Gilead, tell me, tell me, I implore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still of bird or devil, by that heaven that bends us up above, by the God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden, within the distant Aden, if shall clasp a saint and maiden, whom the angels named Lenore, clasp a rare and radiant maiden, who the angels named Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word or sign in parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked up starting, get thee back into thy tempest and the night's plutonian shore, leave no black plume as a token of that thy lie soul hath spoken, leave my loneliness unbroken, quit the bust upon my door, take thy beak from my heart, and take thy form from my door, quoth the raven, nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting upon the pallid bust of palace just above my chamber door, and his eyes have all the seeming of a demon that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming throw his shadow on the floor, and my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore.
I have a confession to make. I'm a reader. Not a bad thing, you'd think, in this day and age. Fewer readers for more wonderful books is a terrible shame. But I have a very special problem. At night, I used to be terrified. <laughs> Sorry, scared stiff of the monster beneath the bed. I pictured claws, old and cold as jade, and as dark as the night that used to frighten me so very much. A smooth, hairless hand. All it would take would be a single toe hanging out beneath the blankets, over the edge of the bed, and in that gap where the aching darkness lay beneath me. Time passed, and I grew, like many teens did, into a gangly and spread-out youth, with limbs like saplings wiry and bent over my childhood bed, like it was an old altar. I dozed feverish in summer with the heat. A thin cotton drape was over me, and at the aching heart of midnight I stuck my leg out from underneath it, desperate for the cooler air. <laughs> you know what they say, you're never to do that, lest the monster underneath the bed get you. Oh, I tempted fate. I squirmed my foot around in the naked air, trying to cool myself down with sleep sweat pouring from me, and for a whole blissful hour I was no longer hot. The coolness of the night washed over me. The next night I forgot my usual caution. I stuck both feet out of the sheets and threw off the comforter onto the chair where it made a strange shapes and had unusual dusk-lit shadows. I panted like a dog and slept well all the way through the night. But the next morning I found that one of my sheets had a small tear in it, as though someone had run a box cutter over the thin cotton. Strange, but nothing inexplicable. Sheets tear. Oh, but never mind. That wasn't a tear, you know it. And nothing is that sharp without having claws. And you can mend a sheet. The next nights were rainy and cold, cooler. I still enjoyed the perverse feel of my feet dangling off the edge of the bed, and when I raised them off the wooden floor at the end of each day, I smiled to myself, old fears disappearing in the heat of summer. The light of the evening and the brightness of the moon in a cloudless sky is very helpful for a reader who can't put down a book, and I distinctly remember I was halfway through Charles Dickens' Nicholas Nickleby when I felt that low and strange tickle that signifies something is physically on your skin triggering those sensitive hairs on your ankle and leg. The leg that was hanging off the bed, low and enticingly close to the dark space between the bed and the dusty wooden floorboards. Don't mind me, I heard it whisper. Just keep reading. Only this time, read out loud for me. I risk a glance at my left foot, and there it was, in the chilly light of the moon, a single claw gently curled around my ankle, like a strange bracelet, the scaled and quivering skin around it getting gently stroked by my ankle, and it gave me a gentle prod as if to remind me to breathe, and, of course, to read. I started the chapter about Doothboy's Hall with a very quiet, wavering whisper, and soon the pressure on my ankle stopped and turned into a more cold caress. I awoke in the morning with Nicholas Nickleby on my chest and with a bookmark I'd lost in third grade making a spot in a chapter I couldn't remember reading aloud as just past midnight. 
Could it be a dream? A nightmare? I looked at my ankle and saw the faintest hairline mark. A tiny scratch. I shivered and promised myself to sleep with all my limbs inside the bed, cocooned in a blanket just like a kid. It woke me by grabbing the other leg. Come on, Eric. I know. I, ne I need to know what's happening to Nicholas. I couldn't see anything in the darkness except for a tiny glint somewhere beyond the bedsheets. Were those eyes or teeth? I read myself hoarse, and at some point between three and half-past in the morning, I had my leg back and unscarred. Ever since then, I've been taking larger and longer books to bed. It's too easy to finish a novel in three sittings, and whatever it is likes longer narratives. I tried it with short stories, and the resulting annoyance was shown in a set of three deep parallel grooves down my shinbone. Fuck Angela Carter, I thought my miserably. The War of the Worlds continued through. I had English lit work to do, and I decided that if my teacher was going to make me suffer, the monster would too. The Scarlet Letter, The House of the Seven Gables, Tess of the Durbanyals. It was, I think, the last straw, I think, was Wilkie Collins, The Moonstone. It wasn't my ankle. I would feel an arm and claws and then the fetid breath of a thing that should never, ever be inside a bed there beside me. And then my foot was wet. Not damp, but wet, as my toes were gently sucked in over a row of spines that could have passed for teeth. No more big words, Eric, it begged. Its teeth and slimy tongue halfway up my ankle. It hurts my brain. Given that my foot was in the jaws of a thing with more teeth than your average shark, I decided to change the story a little bit. The moonstone was given up that night. I grabbed the first thing I could from my childhood shelf, and so that uncomfortable sensation was endured by the sound of green eggs and ham seven times over and over. Not so hard with Harry Potter. You just needed to drop some of the spells and instead say something like, Kazam! but it was worth what some of the other things he brought me to read. I was desperate for a bit of Hemingway or perhaps some James Joyce, but that was a pale wish and a very anemic hope, and so I only got huge texts with very dull histories in it. But I fell asleep with whilst reading. I would be woken by the feel of needle-like incisors pushing beyond my toenail. We've become very good friends, he and I, and I often ask him his name. I'm almost certain it's a he, but always the same thing in answer. Eric, you know me. I'm what's always been. I'm your worst nightmare. Now, if you please, keep reading. Unless you really don't like having two feet.